Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. On the stage. Alrighty. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Hey, whoa, doing great. That's awesome. Man, um, Chike and Sarah, you guys did an awesome job emceeing this morning and leading us through that. And Chike, you just did a, a really phenomenal job on that giving talk, man. You got an authority um, when you speak the Word of God, and that was a really powerful moment. I was just joking to Pastor Brandon. They were like, wow, that was really good. And I just said, like, I'll just give him my notes for the message, and he can go and just share it today. But uh, it's a real gift God's giving you, Chike, so thank you for using it to bless our church. Um, and hey, what an opportunity we have to gather like this this morning for our last in-person uh, service here at Landmark for 2022. How crazy. Realized that as I was preparing until just like a couple days out, I was like, holy smokes, we're online for Christmas Day and, and for New Year, so this really is our last like 2022 in-person at Landmark. And uh, then the next realization that came that freaked me out was that next year's, uh, next year, next week is Christmas, which sort of blew my mind. How many people are still uh, got a long list of Christmas shopping that, that needs to be done? <laughs> like shameful, quick hands, like going up all over the place. How many people are done? How many people are on top of it and finished? I would say that like 90% of the people that raised their hand in the first half were men and 90% of the people in the second half were women, except for Peter. Apparently Peter is on the ball, so good job. Um, well, hey, for those of you that I haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's uh, Jared. I'm part of the team here at Slate Church, and I've been around for um, maybe, th- how long, five years now? Yeah, five years. I don't even know. On this earth for 28, but, uh, but at Slate for the last five years. And uh, it's been a real honor to serve in this church, and it's been a real honor to be a part of this church. And just even reflecting on this past year, so grateful for what God has done in our church over the past year. And I'm really grateful for um, our pastors, Pastors Brandon and Pastor Emma, and for the opportunity to be able to share like this. Um, I think sometimes in the busyness of life, like, there's so much going on, and then, like, I look on the speaking schedule, and I'm rushed, and I'm like, man, where am I going to find extra time to, like, fit all this in? And then I had to just shake myself and go, like, man, what, a, what an opportunity it is to be able to share the Word of God to God's church and to God's people, and thank you guys for that opportunity, and also for just for trusting the people in your church to be able to communicate that well and, and stewarding those gifts. Um, you guys are great, good leaders. Can we just thank Pastor Brandon and Pastor Emma for leading us, even just through this past year, as we're looking towards the next year. Okay, we are in um, the last week of this Advent series, kind of uh, observing Advent as a church. And this whole idea of Advent is this looking towards Jesus as he comes as like the Messiah. And it's been really cool. I, I never like really grew up in churches that sort of like um, observed Advent as traditionally or as, as pointedly as we've observed it this year. And it was, it's been really cool to actually pause in the mix of everything that's going on every Sunday and come to church and, and to actually, like, get expectant about the person of Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus actually, like, did for us as people. How he actually altered, like, uh, like human history and our understanding of God and our relation to God. Like, he, he created, like, he did a lot for us in his life. Like, Jesus was here for, you know, 33 years and three years of his ministry. And there's a lot that he accomplished in that for each of us that's here today. And sometimes when we have something, like, th- when we have, like, a gift and we're able to... Christmas deal, she couldn't care less about, like, Santa or, like, uh, 
anything like that. She wasn't really, like, engaging with anything, really. But now she's so excited. And Christmas with, like, a kid sort of revitalizes the joy of Christmas. When you're young and, and it's Christmas, it's, like, the best time of the year. Like, you're just having a blast. And then when you kind of, like, there's this weird transition period when you're, like, older and your parents are sort of done doing all, like, the cool Christmassy stuff for you. But there's no, like, grandkids yet. And Christmas sort of, like, you just, like, kind of trying to find time to all be in the same room. It can be a little frustrating. But then you throw a kid back in that mix, and, like, the joy of everything comes back. And we took Vivian. Uh, we're doing all these, like, fun things with her. We took her to the mall the other day um, to sit on Santa's lap. And I think I have a photo. Did we get that in time? I sent you guys, like, ten minutes ago. But this is the best photo we got of Vivian sitting on Santa's lap. She wasn't super stoked about it. And you can see Santa giving, like, the biggest side eye, going, like, what's wrong with this kid? Uh, who's sitting on his lap? It was me. <laughs> um, no, there was Big Bench. We had, we had room. But, um, but it's just like that's so like in your face all the time. And there's gifts and there's toys and all of this stuff. And again, if we're not careful, like uh, I was saying to Beth the other day, we've got to be really intentional about reminding our kids as they grow up the real meaning behind this season, the real meaning behind Christmas, that this is actually a time to celebrate the gift that Jesus is to us, to recognize that this long-awaited Savior has come into the world and that we actually get to benefit from the, the love and the grace and the, the, the good news of the gospel that he's poured out on us. And that's like a really important thing to celebrate. And so I've really loved being in this Advent series to actually go back and be reminded of that over and over again. And so we're going to dive in today, but before we do, um, let's just pray, and then we're going to read a bunch of scripture this morning and kind of bounce around a little bit. But why don't you join me as we pray today? God, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this room today, and we thank you for your goodness, God. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for the gift of relationship with you, God. We thank you for the gift of your spirit here today. And I just ask as we dig in through scripture this morning, Lord, as we look at some examples out of your word, that you would, um, God, that you would just be present in all of it, and that you would speak to us in a new way today. That you'd speak to us in a mighty way today, God, that you would just shake off uh, our shoulders, just maybe the monotony of our life and the consistency of things and maybe all this stuff that we filled our mind with today, the busyness of the season and what's the next thing we're going to, whatever we've got going on in our minds and in our hearts today, God, I pray that you would pierce through that this morning, that you'd speak to us with clarity, that you'd speak to us with truth, and that coming out of this room today, God, we'd have a deeper awareness of you in our lives and a deeper love for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so, like, around the holiday season, like, coming around Christmas, it was a big time in our house growing up. It was a lot of fun. We had, like, a lot of people. My family was, like, very people-oriented, and so there were always people coming to our house. I remember for Christmas one year, my mom was in Starbucks, and she met this guy in Starbucks that was, like, um, like I guess lonely around, like, the holidays. And just, he was, like, a barista that was behind the counter. He was, like, in his 40s. And she invited him to stay at our house from Christmas Eve to sleep there and to stay there Christmas Day the next morning, just be a part of, like, something. And I remember as a kid, I was just like, why would you do that, Mom? And then the other half of me was like, I guess it's nice and it's, like, important. And so my parents were very, like, open-handed with uh, the holiday season, with our house and with our family around this time. So there were always people coming in and coming out. And um, some of these people we really liked, some of these people we didn't like so much. And so it was just like there were boring elements to it, there were exciting elements. 
But I remember as a kid waiting for people to come over over the holiday season. We lived um, in this little town called Cobaconk. It's way up north. It's in this backwoods and had a big long driveway into our house. And I remember as a kid, mom would say like, hey, this is before cell phones. This is before like, um, like Google Maps and all this stuff. She would just say like, hey, this is the time that people are going to arrive. They're going to come at 3 o'clock today. We're all going to have dinner. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I remember as a kid being like so, like it couldn't even like contain how excited I was by all these people coming over. And so I don't know if you've ever done this, but like every, uh, every 30 minutes I'd like run to the door and I'd look out the window and I'd cut my hands around the window and I'd look to the end of our driveway and go like, if I'm watching, maybe it'll make them like dry faster and get here faster. And I would go and I would watch and I'd watch for like three minutes and my mom would be like, Jared, there's still four more hours before they're supposed to get here. Like you're going to be doing this like the whole time. So I'd watch the clock and I didn't really understand time fully like at that age, but you're just like, maybe if I just go, maybe it's now. And I keep going back to the window and maybe it's now, maybe it's now, maybe it's now. And as the time would get closer, as, as my mom would explain, maybe like 30 more minutes or an hour more, as, as the time would get closer and closer, I remember I'd go back to that window more and more and more. And so there's every like five minutes, I'm like looking out the window and then like go around and I'm playing with something and I, I get distracted because I'm like, okay, maybe they're going to be here. And you run back to the window and you look again. And this just like keeps happening until basically like they get there and it was always when I wasn't looking out the window that they came. And so there was like a big, like, uh, I guess I wasn't disappointed. I was just excited that they were there. But there's this like anticipation. Anybody have this experience as a kid where like you're waiting for somebody to come and you're so excited and you're going to that window and you're just watching, watching, hoping that it's going to happen. And I think that like as we look to the person of Jesus and as we go through this like time of Advent, that's sort of like the anticipation that can build with us today. And if we're, if we're going through this process and next week is Christmas or we're looking at this narrative of the life of Jesus, we're in that like 30 minute window before he comes and every five minutes we're checking the window. That's sort of where we find ourselves in the story today. And we're talking about um, this person of John and, and John the Baptist. But before we even talk about that, I want to put us in the shoes of the people that are waiting on a Messiah at that time. Now you've got God's people that have heard all throughout the prophets, like in history, that there will be like a child that will come. There'll be a savior that's born, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and all this different stuff. There's been this narrative of, hey, we're broken, and we're longing for a savior, and there's a savior to come, there's a Messiah to come, and just be expectant of this coming Messiah. And this happens in the Old Testament, and then as we talked about, there's this like, 400 year period between the Old Testament and the New Testament where we don't have any written record of anything that God is really speaking to people at this time. And again, it doesn't mean that he's not, but just waiting on the Savior. There's this expectant like, when's he going to come? And what's going to happen? And, and as they're waiting, this oppression begins to build against God's people. And they're, they're struggling, and they're frustrated, and there's pain, and there's brokenness. And there's 400 years of going, when is this going to happen? When is this? And, and there's ideas of how it's going to happen. I remember, like, as a kid looking out the window, I'm like, what if they're driving the red car, and the red car is going to come down the road, and, and this is going to happen? There's ideas in people's minds going, like, what if the Savior is going to come like this, and he's going to do these things? And we have this expectation of who the Savior is going to be. And it's interesting because at this point in the story, leading up to the birth of Jesus, it comes in a way that like nobody really expects. It comes pretty suddenly. Like nothing like really grand to mark its occasion, but just very suddenly, very quietly, very humbly, there's a bit of a shift in the world. And it's a pretty significant shift in the birth of Jesus, but nobody will really like be able to point it out or, or mark it or kind of identify it. But very quietly, an, an angel comes to Mary and says, hey, guess what? You're going to have a son. And it's, and it's interesting because at the same time, an angel comes to Joseph and says, hey, guess what? Like, 
what Mary's saying is true, and you're also going to have a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. And, and at the same time, an angel comes to shepherds, within, all kind of within this like year-long span. An angel comes to shepherds, and this is the passage in Luke 2 that we read out. I don't know, my family read it out every, every year around Christmas. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. They were keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. But that passage in verse 10, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the peoples. How many, how many people have heard that line before? Good news that will cause great joy in some kind of Christmas production or some kind of like promotion or some kind of Christmas song. But if we're not careful, we can lose the, the power and the significance of this. I'm bringing you this good news. Don't be scared. I've got great news to tell you. It's going to bring great joy to you over the course of your life. It's going to bring great joy to all people that Jesus, today, in the city of David, in the town of David, a Savior's been born to you. I mean, this is a lot of information being given to these shepherds. There's a lot of angel interaction with human population over this last year. There's a lot happening. And we're not even talking about like the angels that came to prophesy the birth of uh, John the Baptist. But there's just a lot of heaven interacting with earth, but also kind of quietly, humbly. Not sort of in the marketplace or in these big spaces, but, but really gently does Jesus come into the world. And it's beautiful because... This child that's coming, this Messiah that's coming, he's been long awaited and long spoken about. You read back in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he says, like, for us, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end, and he'll reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This has been the expectation that people have been holding on to. This king that's going to come with a kingdom that's going to be right. It's going to set everything right. And we're going to call him Wonderful Counselor. And he'll be a mighty God. He'll be an everlasting father. He'll be this prince of peace. And he's going to rule with justice and righteousness. And all these things that are wrong are going to come back into place when this Messiah comes. There's this expectation. And then there's this baby that's born. This child that's given to these people. Like, it just... Like, just imagine it. Like, we look at all of this in hindsight, and we can read the Bible kind of cover to cover and see the whole story of Scripture. And we get to, like, know that, okay, and then Jesus comes, and this happens, and this happens, and now here we are today in 2022, and this is how we interact with God in this way. But if you just put yourself in the shoes of the people at this time, there's so much expectation upon a Savior's coming. There's so much, like, anticipation for the Messiah, going, what is going to happen when this Messiah comes? And it's interesting, too, because then we have this, this person of Jesus, and he comes, and he brings this message, this good news, this gospel. Before even his, his death and his resurrection, he brings this, this, this message of, hey, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This long-awaited kingdom that you've been, been talking about, this long-awaited long king has come. And the kingdom of heaven, this different way of operating in the world, this, this better way of operating in the world, it's at hand. It's right here. And my, my, my message to you, like this is Jesus speaking, my message to you is to repent, to turn from the ways that you've been living, to turn from your expectation of the world around you, to turn from the understanding of the world around you, um, and, and, and to follow me, to be a disciple of me, to take on the teachings that I, I'm giving you so that you can be a, a part of this kingdom as it comes. And it's interesting because this, 
this message, like this powerful gospel message that Jesus brings, it's, again, kind of humble and quiet and gentle. It's coming into the world through this person. Matthew 13, it says, um, Jesus tells him another parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and he planted in his field. And though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Even this idea Jesus is saying himself, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a small thing. It's a gentle message. It's a tiny thing. If you can grab it and understand it, if you can plant it firmly in your heart, if you can plant this message of the, the kingdom of heaven being at hand and repenting and turning from your ways, if you can plant that in your heart, it'll grow and it'll change and it'll transform your life and it'll, it'll grow into this garden plant that'll give rest and that'll give uh, of, of um, security and safety to all of the, these, these birds that are coming. It gives this image. But in order to like, plant the seed, in the ground, you have to do a little bit of work before you just like stick it in the ground, right? So Jesus is coming with this gospel message that'll change the course of human history. And before Jesus comes and before he like breaks onto the scene, there's this person in scripture um, called John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is another really interesting character. And I think sometimes we like, we lose out on the person of John the Baptist because we just see him as sort of like this crazy, like doomsday, end is near kind of person. Like that kind of caricature of like a, he got like a big sign and his hair's all wild and probably hasn't showered. And the reason that we have that picture is because that's the picture that the Bible gives us of John the Baptist, where he's just like in the desert, like eating bugs and eating honey, and he's like baptizing people. And everyone's kind of like intrigued by him, but they're also kind of confused by him. But John is like a extremely significant person in, in this gospel story. Extremely significant person in the life of Jesus. In fact, John is probably like one of the most theologically significant voices in the Gospels outside of Jesus. Because the message that, that John brought is actually the same message that Jesus brings. Which is like, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Luke uh, 5 to 17, there's like... There's also like a, an angel that comes to John's parents, uh, John's father, to say, hey, you're about to have this child. And, and I'd never really like understood the significance of John's life until I sort of read this passage and, and realized how similarly it reflected even the angel coming to Mary and, and telling of Jesus or an angel coming uh, or, or God speaking to Abraham, an angel coming to Sarah and actually like communicating that you'll have a son. But this uh, Luke um, verse, chapter 1 verse 11, it says this, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. This is John's uh, father, standing at the right side of the altar of incest. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled, and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid. And these angels are always having to tell people, like, relax, don't be scared. I'm not going to, like, eat you. I need to just tell you something good. He says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer's been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He'll be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. What a promise that is. He'll bring back many people, many of the people of Israel, to the Lord their God. And he'll go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It's interesting, I didn't even realize, like in all my years reading the Bible, I didn't realize that an angel had come to Zechariah to say, hey, listen, like you're going to have a son. This thing that you've long awaited for and long been praying for, you're going to have a son, you're going to name him John. And he actually has a, a mission on his life, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 
And oftentimes we, we think that like this long-awaited Messiah that comes, that Jesus just sort of like jumps into the world and, and begins his ministry right away. But there's this period of real life that Jesus lives with people. John was actually Jesus' cousin. And we read this story a little bit last week where Mary, Jesus' mother, and Elizabeth, John's mother, they actually like knew each other and they spent time together. And when Mary goes and, and she sees Elizabeth, they're both pregnant at this time. And when she's in the room, like John, is, it, it jumps in Elizabeth's stomach. And, and she's filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's this beautiful moment where like, there's this, this relationship between Jesus and John, even before they're born, which is just like a powerful thing. And over the course of their life, that relationship continues. And, and John becomes this person that's so significant in this story of Jesus, because he's doing this work. He's like tilling the ground for this message that Jesus is going to bring to be planted. This mustard seed, this kingdom of heaven being planted and growing into something. John is doing the work of like, of tilling that field, of preparing that soil for Jesus. He's doing what he's been asked to do, what he's been called to do, what he's been commissioned to do by God, to make ready a people who are prepared for the Lord. You know, John... Um, it's interesting because he, he had like quite a large following. And John had a lot of disciples. When, when Jesus like comes out to get baptized by him and when he's out in the wilderness, it's not just like him and a couple buddies. There's like quite a large following that John had. He had quite a lot of disciples that wanted to learn from him and wanted to grow and wanted to be like him. And he started baptizing people in. And he got the interest of the religious leaders at the time to come out. And so sometimes we think of like John and a couple like crazy people out in the wilderness. But even when Paul is writing his letters to the churches in the New Testament, he's running into disciples of John in these places. Like all throughout uh, the, the region, there's like, these disciples of John have actually spread, and this message that John had brought had actually spread. And, 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 um, and Jesus and John are often like getting mixed up for one another in Scripture as well, because their message is so similar. And, and um, the person that actually kills uh, John, like eventually John dies, but, but the person that actually like kills John, he's like confused, thinking Jesus is like John reincarnate, going like, oh man, there's like John's back, and he's bringing that same like message. But it's, it's such a, like a powerful testament that before Jesus even begins his ministry, before he even says what he wants to say, before he even tells of this new kingdom, John is doing the same work that Jesus is about to do, and he's doing it in his own way. He's saying like, hey, the kingdom of heaven is at, at hand, so repent, pay attention, listen up, watch out, be expectant, be on guard. He's looking out the window. And it's funny because, like, John with this great following, he's obedient to this thing that, that God has asked him to do. And he sacrifices quite a lot in his life. John sacrifices his whole life to give this message and to prepare the way for Jesus. And he goes throughout, and he, and he sacrifices, the way that he sacrifices is he, like, he's obedient to what God has asked him to do. He calls everything out that he sees, and he's, and he's not paying attention to, like, the social norms of the day. And he's saying, like, I'm going to do this thing even though people think I'm crazy or even though I'm kind of, like, ostracized from society. He also, like, sacrifices in the sense that when Jesus comes along, he, like, sends his disciples to Jesus. He immediately recognizes Jesus as the Messiah and says, like, don't follow me. Go and follow Jesus. This is actually the person that you need to be following. And John is this really significant character that ushers in, like, he's, he's kind of a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's sort of like the last prophet to, to tell of the coming Messiah, and then Jesus comes. And it's really beautiful because in all of this, John actually, like, has this moment it's a really beautiful moment where he actually gets to, to baptize Jesus. How insane is that? Like, how crazy is that? That John, being obedient to this call that he had in his life to prepare the way for the Lord, to prepare the way for the Messiah, it sort of, like, culminates in him being able to baptize Jesus. And Jesus comes to John in, in Matthew 3, and it says, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Jesus is like, and how crazy is that that Jesus is like, I'm God, but also I'm going to submit myself here and be baptized by somebody else. That's just like a wild concept in and of itself. But he comes to the Jordan, and he comes to John, 
And John tries to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me to be baptized. And Jesus says, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consents. And even in, that, even in that passage, Jesus replying, it's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is demonstrating this thing of like, the same thing that John is demonstrating, like I'm going to be obedient to the mission that's on my life. I'm going to be obedient to the call that, that God the Father has given me. And John says, okay man, like if you'll do it, then I'll do it. I'll also be obedient to the call that God's placed on you. And I'll be obedient to the call that God's placed on me. And there's this beautiful moment where Jesus is coming to John. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out from the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. In this moment where John gets to baptize Jesus, it's not so much like the passing of a torch to Jesus, saying like, Hey, Jesus, I've done all this work to prepare the way, and now you, you run it on and keep going. It's more of like the fulfilling of a call that John had on his life to prepare this way for Jesus. And the, the, the amount of like self-sacrifice that John took on over the course of his life, to, to take this word that had been given to him, to say, hey, I'm going to make ready a people that are prepared for the Lord. For him to, like, to, to, to see the vision of what God was doing enough to go, okay, I'm going to be obedient to this thing. Like what, what an opportunity that, that he had to baptize Jesus and to pass, not to pass this torch, but to fulfill the call that he had in his life. And what that does, like through John's obedience, it ushers in the ministry of Jesus. It ushers in this message in its fullness that, hey, what has been like people that are like wandering in the darkness, here's a light for you. Those that have been lost are now being found. That Jesus coming in to say, hey, I like for God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus. And Jesus comes and we, we get to like celebrate and be grateful for his death and his resurrection. But Jesus actually comes and he lives life among people. And he gets to know people. And he gets to feel and experience like the pain of what it means to be a human being that doesn't have this direct access to God. He gets to experience like, like, um, and again, Jesus never sinned, so he's not like taking on all these same things, but he felt temptation. He gets to experience like, what is, what is this tension that humanity is living in? Where they're going like, I want to stuff that like, I feel like I'm being oppressed by that's kind of attacking. Jesus lived in that tension of what it means to be human. Not only did he live in that tension, but he lived in it in a perfect sinless way. And he goes through and he, and, he, and, he, and he also spends time with like the most awkward people. The most like uncomfortable people to be around. Think about like for yourself, the friends that you have in your life. How many people are you like really like mindful of like wow our our backgrounds are so different the wrestling that they have in their life is so different than the wrestling that i have in my life like i've, I've recently found myself surrounded by a lot of people that are in a similar stage of life than i am and i'm trying to shake that off a little bit to go like man jesus is spending his time with like tax collectors people that the people in the society at the time really didn't like and these are jesus friends and he's spending time with like prostitutes it's insane like, we hear that it's like Jesus was a friend of sinners and he spent time with prostitutes. But it's like, that's insane. How many of you have, like, a friend that's a prostitute? Don't raise your hand. But, like, just, like, it's just, like, put, your, put yourself in Jesus' shoes with this. That's wild. That's wild. I was talking to a friend the other day and they said, like, I don't know how to have a relationship with somebody that constantly is sinning. And they want me to be, like, in the conversation to encourage them in their sin. But I think it's so wrong. And I don't even know how to be, have a friendship with them because I always just want to tell them that they're sinning and it's wrong. It's just, like... 
Okay, but look at Jesus. He spent all this time with people. Why did he do this? Why did he come? Like, why did he, he come? And then why did he, like, sacrifice himself? You see in the life of John, John's obedient to the call that God places on his life up until his death. He's so obedient that it actually ends up getting him beheaded. And you see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus is so obedient to what God has placed in his hand. He said, go and, and live amongst my people and, and tell them of this love that I have for them. Tell them of this new kingdom, of this new way. Warn them to repent. Warn them to be aware of their life and to turn because there's a better way of living. And then go so far as to give yourself up, to die. And not just to die, but to take on all the sin of humanity. That he who knew no sin became sin. He didn't even just take it on, he became sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. So that we as people could have relationship with God. God lived in this tension. Jesus lived in this tension with us. Today, as we're on this week four of Advent, we're looking at the expected coming of Christ the next week of Christmas, and we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Like, I just don't want us to go through that missing out on the significance of the love that God had for us. The love that God had for us, that he would move himself from this, this position of just not even observing humanity. He's been a part of humanity, but like that, that he would leave heaven, come to earth, take on flesh, bear our like our pain and our weight and our sin and temptation and be in awkward situations and awkward social situations and have awkward friends and and, and bear the weight of people saying like this guy's nuts and, and the, the, the the kind of like oppression that would have come from the society at the time and then and then to live in, in the midst of all that and then to take it a step further and as the Bible says like there's no greater love than this than one would lay down their life for their friends and to lay his life down for us. Like what kind of love moved Jesus to that? says the joy set before him that he endured the cross. That Jesus went and endured this death and this resurrection that it, it was obedient to the Father. Why? Because there's joy that was set before him. The joy of relationship with us. The joy of reconciling creation into relationship with God. Like this is like the message of Jesus. This is the message of scripture. That when Jesus comes as a baby boy we celebrate this. All of human history changes with his life. Our entire interaction with God changes with this person awareness of God changes. Our, our, our interaction with Jesus, with God changes. Like, they had to sacrifice and jump through all these hoops and only some people got to be in the presence of God and all this stuff. Today, the presence of God is just here in this room. How nuts is that? How insane is that? Sometimes we just pass by it because it's so, like, commonplace for us. But it wasn't commonplace at the time and it cost a lot. It cost a lot out of John to prepare the way for the Lord. It cost a lot out of Jesus to take on our sin to die. And today in this, this moment as a church, like, I want us to just pause and reflect on the love that God has for us. That he would, he would be moved so much by this desire to reconcile creation back to himself. He would say, I'm going to lead heaven. I'm going to come down to earth. I'm going to live amongst you. I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring you back in relationship with me. Why don't we, why don't we stand this morning? We're going to close actually just in a bit of, of worship here before we respond to all of this. As we're, as we're cognizant of the presence of God in this room today and as we're here and I want to just invite you maybe you want to like close your eyes maybe you want to extend a hand but I want to read out the words of Paul in the book of Romans that talks about this love that God has for us Paul says in Romans he says what shall we say about such wonderful things as these if God is for us spare even his own son but he gave him up for us all 
also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. He's pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? The scripture says, for your sake we're killed every day, being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.